welcome to episode 17 of Techish featuring Abadesi and Michael Bahane. We back. So many stories this week. I don't even know where to start. Let's start with good news. I like when we start with good news. All right, take it. What's the good news? Let's clap. Blavity raising. Series Shout out to Shout out to Morgan. Black Girl Magic. $6.5 million. And that's not a trivial sum of money, you know. Not at all. You know, that's actually a sizable chunk of coin to actually do something impactful, you know. Especially I, for founders from, you know, this community, our community. Yeah, really 100%. And even like for a media business as someone who's kind of in the media game like 6.5 million you can do a lot of damage like you can and they've already got like a, an ensemble of brands they've got Travel Noir which they acquired they've got uh, 2190 yeah 2190 kind of like, is interesting because I feel like they're bigger in the US than they are over here in London I've certainly not heard a lot about them but it's kind of like that refinery 29 right um, sort of style this idea of like yeah it's a women centric brand but yes. primarily a black women centric brand um and I think actually originally it was like, um, you know, the way BuzzFeed had like BuzzFeed Blue and BuzzFeed Yellow, yes. 2119, if that's what it's called, sorry, was actually like Blavity something. It wasn't necessarily, they, they oh. spun it out and turned it into its own separate brand, right? Um, so they've got that, Travel Noir, um, Afrotech as well, which hopefully we'll be able to go like later Woo-hoo. on this year. We're looking forward to that conference. That should be dope. Um, so they're really building out um, a portfolio of different media brands serving black millennials, which is extremely exciting. Yeah. And I think even though we've spoken a lot in the past about how different brands are trying to tap into that market, we were talking about Netflix's video celebrating. Oh, Strong Black Leads. The mm-hmm. Strong Black Leads video, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's all good and well when people who are not black mm. start trying to like their toes in it and be like hey look at all these black people we know yeah yeah no, but I think with, but that, but that, that Netflix video was was kind of orchestrated by like a black woman she was uh, I think her name is Jasmine Lawson no no as in she actually there's like a oh she came ha- up with the concept have, yeah right and she's in charge of that even it's got a separate Twitter account strong black leads oh, brilliant. everything right um, but I wouldn't call Netflix a black media company yeah, that's because true. it's not and so what's cool about Blavity is that you know they are it's from the culture Exactly. So yeah, clap them. That's awesome. Woo, 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 Come to UK yeah, and expand. Land yeah. grab. Land grab. Because what we've got here, we've just got um, the voice. Like, what do we have here in terms of black Kevin. media? Do you know what the mm. voice is? The voice is like some old newspaper <laughs> that was originally, I think it was like an Afro-Caribbean thing, but they've kind of expanded it to being like general black news. And it's that's all we have in terms of like a black media presence in the UK. I mean, there's Black Seriously Ballad, which is lacking. a new thing. Yeah, Black Ballad. Shout, Shout out, out to Toby already. Yeah, everybody yeah. check them out. So they're a platform that celebrates black women's voices. Really a place where black women writers can write about whatever they want. And it's really right? interesting. So everything from, you know, pop culture to identity, politics, social issues. But yeah, we really need more. I read an interesting article from a company called Wistia. Ooh. And Wistia is like a, a video platform. If you don't want to use YouTube to host your videos and embedded on your site, you can use them and have your own in-house white label video platform. Anyways, that's not why I'm bringing them up. So I read an interesting article that they published regarding um, how they decided to grow the company. They raised a VC capital and eventually they realized that they were being forced to grow in ways that they did that kind of compromised their values and, and how they wanted to build the business. They, it was very short term. They were not allowed to do any long term projects and it kind of eroded and corroded the company culture. Mm. So they raised debt to the tune of 17 million yeah which is quite i've never heard a startup doing this just so they can pay off their original investors wow. pay back their employees who had stock options wow. and start from scratch and said listen we've got a business now we want to be we want to be profitable and we're going to do it this way and now the reason why i bring this up is because actually me and abadesi were having an interesting text conversation and we were debating <laughs> the merits of vc or bootstrap and this is like we've had this debate so many times yeah but i thought I wanted to bring this up so I could shame Abadesi and being like, I, was right. <laughs> I'm yeah, right. I mean, what's your, what are your thoughts then? Like, I don't want to rehash everything we've once said, but 
you know. So to talk to me a bit about, maybe you can explain a bit more for me, but also for the listeners, how they went from a position of, I mean, I know the story roughly, they raised an angel round. Right, so they were originally... They raised, yeah, tell me the story of funding okay. and then how they managed to kind of get out So of they that. started off, I think for the first two years, they were bootstrapped and they raised okay. an angel round, mm-hmm. a, a quite a high angel round. Yeah, almost it up to 650? Right, there we go, yeah. And then two years later off the back of what they've done, I think they got to like 20K a month in annual revenue. I mean, uh, monthly revenue, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got to, they raised another angel round. Oh yeah, 775K. Cool. And then, I think they, and then wow. th- they got to a stage where they were very profitable and they were working on a lot of long-term projects. And a lot of people basically were whispering to them, listen guys, you've got to grow faster. You're almost too profitable. That's a quote actually right, in the article. Wow. As in like, you're a startup, like you shouldn't be this profitable. You should be pu- pushing everything into growth. Um, and so that what they did from there is they raised more money, I think, and decided to just put, pedals to the metal and go gangbusters and say growth 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 they dropped anything that wasn't for growth essentially um and people employees left they said this isn't this is not the wistia that i know anymore we're not doing anything that's actually for our consumers we're doing stuff now for you know just optimizing conversion rates that's when they realized this is not the company that we want to we want to build anymore and they decided to uh, course correct and they even had acquisition offers they started off the article basically saying that when we started a startup, we wanted to get rich. We wanted to build something and, and flip it and, and retire, basically. But they fell in love with the process of building a business. And now they're like, yo, we want to go back to that. We had good times in the early days when mm. we were kind of just, you know, doing it doing for the love. Doing what we wanted to yeah, do. Yeah, doing what we wanted to do, just in our own hands. Yeah. Now, you know, I guess this is kind of anecdotal evidence. One, you know, one startup doesn't make a trend. Yes. But... What are your thoughts? Like, does this convince you in any shape of like any form that sometimes VC can be a bit corrosive? I mean, the thing is, they still got it, didn't they? They got the VC funding. They did, right? Yeah. They literally raised two rounds, close to two million dollars. Well, one point, uh, um, gosh, I can't do maths. Three, one point. Uh, they raised about one point three million dollars in funding in the first four years of their existence. Got to a position where they were comfortably profitable. Yeah. Then spent the next two years optimizing for growth at all costs as they say and then they were like oh no now it's now it's not fun anymore so let's face it they could never even have got to that position if they hadn't raised funding right so i definitely agree that you know vc is for a very specific type of founder who is willing to go down that route of growing at all costs and and that Mm. isn't for everyone and you know he talks a lot in this article i just had a chance to uh, review again about the fact that there were lots of employees that joined very early on before they got to that pace of breakneck growth, mm. breakneck speed growth, who commented that, you know, this doesn't feel like the company I joined anymore. Yeah. Um, and he says that that was really difficult for him to hear. But, you know, what I would say is if I if I was a founder that I was like, right, I am aiming for global domination. Because, mm. you know, we have, to, we have to be realistic about what VC is. If you're trying to build a business that will be generating $400 million in revenue a year, you know, by year five of mm. operations, mm. you need VC to do that. And, and that's the VC expectation. Now, of course, for Liz people, that's just like a ridiculous sum of money. They'd be happy turning over a million dollars a year if they mm. could. And I get it. And I think as an employee, if you want to join an SME, mm. then that's fine. Mm. But if your SME then suddenly becomes a fast growing, you know, scale up, high growth mm. startup, I mean, does the company owe something to you to remain small? I don't know. Like, I mm. think every founder is on their own journey and every company is on their own journey. And, you know, you've just got to weigh out the pros and cons. It's way too specific and way too personal. Not to put anybody's business out there, but I spoke to some founders of a, of, a, of a startup and they had raised a whole bunch of money. And 
they were kind of having not necessarily second thoughts because like you said they wouldn't be in the position that they were in if they hadn't raised the money yeah you know so it's the devil's bargain you're not going to get to like to the scale that they've got to but in terms of what the vcs were asking of them it was just like yo this doesn't even make any sense you're you're literally telling me let's say we've got 50 million in revenue you want to 10x that by the end of the year Mm. and you don't give a damn if we're losing money and i don't mean losing money in the sense of pushing everything back into growth or losing money i mean we're selling what we're selling costs us more to sell than it does you know is it like as in on our gross profits like what unit economics exactly right unit economics that's a that's the newfangled term right and you know when i spoke to them we were kind of saying yeah like anybody can stand on a street corner and sell 10 pound notes for nine quid how they put it to me vcs are essentially middlemen they have their lps and they have to give their return to their lps by any means necessary they want to know that they can go they can go to the secondary markets and sell their shares in a few years yeah right and if the business is a hundred million dollar business regardless of how profitable it is they can do that yeah and it just concerns me i don't know how it concerns me i mean this is one example again another example and you know yeah you know i'm sure there's vcs out there listening telling oh these guys don't know what they're talking about but what are they actually complaining about in that situation like are they complaining about so for example are they suffering are their customers suffering is their business suffering are they having to fire anyone are they losing customers losing market share i mean when you're thinking short term in the in the short term all those things look perfect like you said but in the long term they realize that that can't work so they were actually considering taking the VCs money and just doing the opposite of what they told the VCs. That's how bad it got. They were like, yeah, we're, we're going to go growth, 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 growth. Mm. You know, the slides say growth, 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 growth. Mm. We're going to take the money and then we're just going to be like sustainable, sustainable, profits, 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 get profitable. Then tell the VCs to F off and we'll give you back some of your money and, or, and we'll just raise debt and pay you back off. Like the Wistia Literally, guys. right? Yeah, exactly, right? So, I and think- I think also one last point is mm. that what it does show is that your incentives and your VCs incentives are very different. And sometimes when you start off, and what I used to think was, we're all trying to make a massive business, we're all aligned. I've heard stories of VCs telling founders not to sell their company because the VC will not get an optimal return. But the founder will make millions of dollars, but the VCs are like, no, you need to shoot for the moon because that's only then do I make any money. That's why it's important to know about like the different types of stock classes that you have right. and be stringent with your cap table. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, when we're at the beginning of our entrepreneurial journey... And this is something that I think just happens to all human beings. Basically, our expect changes change. Mm. And every time we achieve something, um, the expectations that we want the next time around like, become even more unrealistic, if that makes sense. So yeah. the case of the founders you're talking about here, I bet there was a time when they were so desperate to raise money. 100%. They wish that they would just get that validation. Well, guess what? Like Raising VC money isn't about validation. It's about entering a game where you are going to be optimizing for growth. Mm. You can't a few years down the line go, oh, we've changed our mind. Now we want to optimize for profitability. Mm. Because then you should have just gone to the bank, got yourself a loan, mm. and not wasted the VC's time. Mm. That's it. Okay, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That's we'll leave it at that. Cool. Zook in the house. Who's Zook? Zuckerberg. <laughs> Zuckerberg. Yeah. Zuckerberg. Yeah, it's a bad day if you're a Facebook shareholder. <laughs> Bookface. Yeah, Bookface, basically, right? The stock has dipped 20%. Oh, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. And so, everything uh, else. <laughs> what prompted it? There was like a... So, um, I think for about 11 quarters in a row, if this Quartz article I've read is correct, Facebook always met analysts' expectations in mm. terms of revenue and earnings. Mm. And then this is the first quarter where they didn't meet it dum, dum, because dum. revenue fell. Well, it, to be fair, it's still up 40% year on year, crazy, which is significant right? for a company that's 10 Amazing. years old. I mean, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, that's, and already at that scale? 
but it's not growing as fast as it has in previous quarters as right. a result of one churn mm. um and then two basically just trying to get rid of all of these like fake profiles and misinformation and yeah i think what scared like investors the most was the fact that um daily active users within the US and Canada had gone down. Yeah. Right? And then also in terms of user growth, new users that had also gone down. I mean, user growth, I mean, how big can they get? They've pretty much got every single person in the world on their platform. Mm. But regardless, I think investors are like, whoa. And what people are are hypothesizing is that all this palaver, Cambridge Analytica, the election is now finally starting to get people like to think, okay, maybe we shouldn't be on Facebook and it's hitting the platform. I don't think it's that personally speaking. I think part of it is to do with the fact that They've hit a level of saturation. And I think as a product, there are other alternatives that people would rather use. People yeah. would rather use Instagram, which is a Facebook company. Yeah. People would rather use, if in the UK, I think WhatsApp. Um, and I think people don't want to spend too much time on the Facebook app anymore. Like it's not yeah. it's not the cool place to be anymore. And it's not necessarily the most enjoyable place to be. So I think that's true. And a combination of that and the privacy stuff. And it's just led to the fact where people are like, well, maybe this company isn't where we thought it would isn't be. Isn't what we thought it was. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Facebook's getting on a bit, isn't it? It's kind of like... It's the granddaddy of social it's media. It's 10 years is ancient, <laughs> social media apps. It's entering its MySpace era. Yeah. Um, in- interesting, though, that 3 million fewer people in Europe logged into Facebook this quarter. Um, so GDPR came into effect in, like, May and June, mm-hmm. which means it's, like, not as easy to log into Facebook. And people actually had to then start going, hey, hang on, how are you using my pri- my data? Yeah. How are you protecting my privacy? Mind- I mean, like I saw someone tweet, I, thought, uh, I forgot who the dude was, quite a prominent tech person. They were saying how now's the time to buy the stock. And Because it'll go up again? Because it'll go up again. And like as a long-term prospect, it's still a great, still a great company in terms of all the apps that they own. And whatnot. I don't know. I'm I'm sitting, I'm on the fence. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge organization. It's Ryan like made some good points um, in his episode about the fact that they've built this global organization. You know, however many tens of thousands of employees, <laughs> shipping new products all the time. There is value in Facebook. Mm beyond just like the social network just through like the intelligence of the team and the potential of what they yeah. could do so and i think what, that's a fair point oh that's uh, yeah but <laughs> what was funny is that in their report they basically said that how they're going to juice revenues by basically letting companies message you on messenger dude i was telling you i saw yeah, that yeah you did actually that, yeah she did I mention saw an that advert in messenger and i was like hold up but what we didn't, is we this didn't, we didn't uh, clarify whether it was like a note of, like, i didn't got, know that yeah. it was a message yeah so wait companies can now pay to message me like yeah. hola it's nando's what's up that ain't it that is not it. Wow. I do not want that. No that, that is the quickest way to get your app deleted. That, do you that is the quickest way to get your app deleted. Yes. Because you remember when Inbox was doing shady stuff like that? When Gmail, oh. Gmail was inserting ads at the top of your inbox. This right. is old school Gmail. Yeah, yeah, so it yeah. looked like an, ad, like an email. Know, yeah. But it was actually an ad. And then you'd click it and then it would take you to like whatever this bank or that mortgage broker. And I think that's not why cool. the WhatsApp founders just up and left. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the kind of shit that they were proposing for whatsapp also and oh the founders were like this God. is against what we want and they just upped and bounced and that's, that's like worse than those chain whatsapps that you get from your aunties oh it's like pass this on oh to 20 Lord. people <laughs> imagine you just get like a whatsapp but it's actually from like, what company would you not mind messaging you oh good question to be fair if it was something that made my life easier 
I wouldn't mind. So let's say I'm getting a flight this Friday, an easy jet or whatever. Is like just to remind you, WhatsApp. like just remind you. Here's you know your boarding pass. Yeah, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Similarly, Airbnb, whatever. Um, Abba, product NHS. visionary. I even I didn't think of this. This is rubbish. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Doctor's appointments. Yeah. Reminder. You got right. doctor's appointment, dentist appointment, whatever. All of those kind of things would actually be quite cool. That's really clever. But so those all are, those companies that would probably stand to make money from, you know customers not utilizing the product that they've paid for or you know not knowing yes. where to go to exactly for example right or even uber for example yeah. so another one you know Songkick. it's oh, an yeah. integration with spotify yeah. to tell yeah, you yeah. when artists listen to our playing right i always forget to check it or maybe i've only used spotify in my app and i'm on the desktop i would love to get a message when like tickets go on sale for artists i want to listen yes, to yes right like hey don't forget yeah. like in one hour yeah right yeah that's that's a really good idea i think yeah. also i mean to a certain extent it could replace email to a, like a lot of like that would be awesome so a lot of people are not checking their email inbox that, oh. that, that you know there's a lot of junk and a lot of marketing messages. Of yeah exactly right <laughs> so maybe you're right maybe you know we, we, we went from pessimistic to all of a sudden we're like this them is the another good. idea man yeah. they need to like facebook holler give us some shares for people new product has been introduced by the mattress company Casper. Do you have a Casper mattress? I Michael? do not. I have a bog standard uh, basic mattress that I've had for too many years. Are you a memory foam man? I'm not actually. I'm that. I need to get a new mattress so I might have to holler at Casper okay, for real. Okay Casper, like, what's up? Yeah, Casper holler at Simba, another one. Simba. There's so many of these companies. Eve. So many All of much of a muchness. I'm old school. I, I like a spring. A spring in spring my ma- what's that? Is spring that firm? My step. Is that firm one? Well, it's fir- you know firm to touch, but it gets bouncy if you need it to be. I'm just saying. TMI. Anyways, <laughs> I digress. Can so, anyways, jump. kids, cover your ears. I like jumping on my bed. Like <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so yeah, Dreamery by Casper is a new space that they've opened up in Manhattan for okay, those cool. of you nearby, um, where you can just you know drop in and have yourself a little nap. So it's a service that lets you enter this area mm. and I suggest everybody like, we'll have a link <laughs> attached and you go to this area where it's got a whole bunch of like Casper beds and it's really like scenic way mm. private rooms and you can go there and book a 45 minute nap essentially right dreamscapes essentially so I think the question I have is would you use it would you would, you would like, I use yeah. it so I mean I don't know what call me old school right there's probably some Gen Z or younger person listening going this is a great idea but I just don't know how I feel about public beds. Public like, yeah, is true. it getting changed every time yeah. someone is napping in it? And like, hear me out. So I used to work for a travel startup and I remember I'd go and meet my clients, pitch to them. Mm. And they were telling me like, oh, there's this new like startup coming into the game. And I was like, oh, what are they pitching you? And they're like, oh, they want to use our hotel rooms during the day mm. because that's when most hotel rooms have spare capacity. And I was like, what for? And they're like, oh, well, you know, they're just going to rent the rooms by the hour to people who need a place to, you know, nap or work. And I was like, or have an affair. Basically, right? Yeah, I was like, Last time with the secretary. So like, you know, with the dreamery thing, is it is it like one person per pod? Can you get a double space? I don't know. Just... We're going to have to holler at Casper to find <laughs> out. Also, how much do you charge for that? How much I do you charge? I think it's like $45 for like an hour. <gasps> a minute, a dollar, a dollar a minute. I think so. Yeah, I mean, Let's wow, that's quickly. deep. That's deep. I don't know. Would you go? You know what? I'm a big fan of naps. I'm not gonna lie. Like, that's I am twenty five dollars. I'm, I'm a serial napper. You know what, man? Now we're talking, isn't it? If I okay, was somewhere yeah. where like I'm far from home, and I've just had I've got back to back meetings, and I've got another meeting in like three hours or two yeah, hours, I and I've got to hang around, I'm like, you know what, man? Let me just let me just have a nap. But the thing is, is that you're right. The cleanliness is a factor. If it hits I would the bar, to... what's the bar? 
as in the bar in my mind. <laughs> How do you mean? As in the bar, you know, raising the standard the bar. of cleanliness. Yeah, exactly. You mean right? Cool. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. If I'm like, yo, this is some really super clean thing, and you know, they change the sheets all the time, and it's they, you know, they nuke the sheets, and so it's super clean. Yeah, I might do it. Fuck it, why not? Like, I'm tired sometimes. I want a nap. I'm <laughs> no. getting old now. Yeah, you know just saying? go I'm, on the park bench like everyone nah, else. No, 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 no. I'm not about that life. So. How much is it? Sorry, what it's twenty five dollars. But no, this is actually good. Look, it, it gives you comfy beverages. PJs. Come on, yes. shout out to Casper. They give you comfy PJs, amenities. refreshing amenities. Yeah, and come beverages. on, and you, can, and you can charge your phone. You can just chill. Yeah, come on, this is actually quite clever. Like, I mean, I don't think it will have that much. I don't think most people will use this. You know, um, they look all right, actually. Yeah, exactly. I'll definitely everybody check it out if you if you're near your phone or laptop. Let's talk a bit about sleep tech then. Do you use any sleep aids, any apps to help you sleep, or any anything to track how you sleep? Would you say nah. you're someone that sleeps well? I sleep quite well. Yeah, I sleep like a baby to be honest. And I, the only thing I ever used was there was this app that basically um, instead of having an alarm that w- woke you up at any time or any time that you set, it would basically monitor if you're kind of tossing and turning. So Ooh, they would yes. know. So they would know like whether you're in deep sleep or you know not in deep sleep, and then there would be an optimal time to wake you up. Nice. Um, according to the science, I don't know how true this is that you know you could have eight hours sleep, but if you get woken up in the wrong section of your sleep, you will wake up feeling groggy. And if yeah. you could have six hours sleep or five hours sleep, and if you're in the right portion of sleep to be woken up in, then you'll feel refreshed. According to the theory. Now, I used it for a little while, but I, I mean, I never stuck to it whatsoever. I know you use your little... What's that, what's that thing called? The, wait, you're, you're, you don't have an alarm, Lumi do you? Light. Yeah, Lumi light. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, I mean, yeah. Does that count as sleep tech? It's very low tech. No, it doesn't really work in summer when the sun rises at 5.15 a.m. But I, I do use, like... Um, I've started using the Apple Bedtime app, oh, okay. which means I've brought my phone back into my room. Oh. Controversial. But don't worry, it's still in airplane mode. Is that, how does um, it work? Is it, I think I use it as well. It's just a normal alarm Yeah, so app. you just say when you go to sleep, right, and then you cool. say when you wake yeah. up, but then it's cool because you have those little bar charts where you can compare uh, yeah. You know yeah, how many yeah, hours yeah. you sleep every how does week it know and it, stuff Does it like know that. if you snooze it, though? It must know if you snooze. Well, it does because you're pushing it forward. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Um, but I don't know. I think it's just really interesting because um, if you read you know, the headlines, you'll see a lot of... Uh, articles around the fact that you know technology is increasing our stress levels anxiety levels and it's also affecting how we sleep and more and more people are finding it very difficult to sleep and there's a very strong link between bad sleep and depression and just bad health will stop apparently yes like even heart attacks and stuff like that exactly so i think um you know at the moment it's kind of limited to i guess like sleep trackers there are some companies that have invented like hardware that can accompany this whether it's like some eye mask that can track the rapid eye movement or whatever Uh, but i definitely feel like the sleep mark sleep tech nap tech call it what you want is only just beginning. I think it's like a nascent market and it's going to grow really fast. Have you heard of um, Lucid Dreaming before? Uh, Yes, I have. There was a Kickstarter app actually that that, that actually was um, either aided you or enabled you to do Lucid Dreaming. So Lucid Dreaming is when you're dreaming and you're fully in control of your dream. Like like you're aware that you're in a dream and then you can do what you want. Exactly right. So there was this kind of sleep mask that was on Kickstarter at one point and it was very popular and it was meant to enable you to do lucid dreaming. I don't know what happened to it. Let's get that. Oh man. That will be a fun episode of Techish. Some inception We'll go into one of the dreamery nap pods, (laughs) bring the mic, you put on the lucid dreaming mask. You can't talk. You're not going to be like, I'm in the dream now. No, oh yeah, that's true. (laughs) I'm in the dream now. (laughs) I see you now. It's not going to work. That would be cool if it did though. (laughs) cool. are like I remember going on meetup.com and seeing like um lucid dreaming meetups yeah what no seriously uh on a twitter moment mm. um and 
you know, became a viral news story. Um, so huge, huge props to a wonderful Swedish woman called Ellen Ersen, who refused to sit down on a flight leaving Sweden um, for Istanbul mm. um, until a man who was basically being deported mm. back to Afghanistan was removed. So like the sort of like history to this is that there have actually been a lot of like Afghan uh, asylum seekers in Sweden. Oh, wow. And um, it appears that they've been clamping down on immigration rules, you know, like the rest of mm-hmm. white people countries at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so she... Uh, stood up basically on the mm. plane when they were asked to take their she seats for the flight basically. safety demonstration. Mm. And, um, you know, she was very much aware of like the legalities of what she was doing. She recorded the whole thing, live streamed mm. it on her phone. And she was like, as long as I'm standing and anyone else is standing, uh, the plane cannot take off. They can't do the safety demonstration. The plane mm. can't take off. Um, and, you know, this is like a nonviolent protest because mm. I don't want this So did she know be before she boarded that this was the situation or do you think she had just kind of just discovered why she was there? Um, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if it was premeditated. Uh, no, this is it. So the she she did board the flight after they found out that a young Afghan man was due to be deported on it. Wow. It's actually so incredible. Like, I really encourage everyone, you know, if this story intrigues you, to watch the live footage and watch the video mm. because the way people responded to her was incredible. There's one British man that's like, you know, just sit down, just sit down and on the shut plane. up. On the plane, on the plane. Right. And she's just like, you know, this this is my right. I'm exercising my mm. right. And he's like, just sit down. You're wasting everyone's time. And she's like, he is being sent back to his death. Mm. You know, we're losing our time. He's losing his life. I mm. don't care. Mm. And this guy literally grabs her phone. The British and, guy. Yeah, the <laughs> British guy that it's off camera. And I was just like, where do you get off? Just like basically attacking people. And you the know? irony is actually is that... Um, us as Brits and as and as Americans as well, like we have effed up that country. As in, we like, have really yeah. effed up. That. We've been. It's the war still actually hasn't been discontinued. It's still going on. So we've effed up that country, leading to massive amounts of refugee flowing out of that country. Mm. And the Swede, who actually Sweden, I mean, they are a Western country, but they weren't actively involved as far as I was aware in the Afghanistan war. And that's and it's the British guy that's like, oh, you know, how dare you, blah blah blah, man, just chill, like. Yeah. I mean. It's really, yeah. But the thing is, what would you do if you're on that plane and you've got somewhere to go or something and this is happening? What would you do? The thing is, like, I'm never in a situation or I feel like I'm rarely in a situation where I have the opportunity to impact someone that vulnerable mm. in that way. So if if I heard her and I understood and like, the situation, I'd be like, back, if yeah. I can save a life by missing one flight, yeah. I'll tell my boss that yeah, or, yeah. you know, I'll tell my family that. And, yeah, I think watching the video... And seeing the different ways and people respond is mm. such a perfect capsule of society today. Because on the one hand, you yep. had people saying, we're with you, we support right. you. You know, there was a Turkish man. It was a flight to Istanbul. So there are a lot of people who are audibly supporting. One of the flight attendants originally was like, please sit down. Like, this is health and safety. You're stopping us from doing our job. Mm-hmm. But when that man attacked her, it was another flight attendant that then got her phone back and was like, that's unacceptable behavior. So yeah. it seems like she even divided the staff, yeah. which is incredible, as well as dividing the passengers. But Like you said, which is indicative of society because yes the anti-immigrant and anti-refugee like exactly. sentiment that's going on in the west like it's crazy like, so i've never seen like this the connection that you've just made around the fact that it was our governments intervening mm. in international relations um mm. that's still cause what's happening today still mm. ongoing today mm. 
is a connection that so many citizens of Western countries are willing to ignore. Of course. And that's what upsets me. It's like, no, people, we all participated in that. Our taxes paid for those bombs. A hundred percent. Like, why are we turning a blind eye? Because it's inconvenient. It's an inconvenient truth or it's difficult to swallow. You know, that is that is life. But I mean, as a, as a general principle, I find the lack of um, the average citizen's lack of understanding of geopolitical events and our role in those events like it's it's been that case even uh, going back to like past yeah. events no of course like end of the day but i feel like it's a willful ignorance you know what i mean like we no, got to make a distinction between like complex measures uh, and people just choosing to be naive i don't think it's a willful ignorance i think even mm, if you go down to the education system like um for example i mean we talked about the legacy of the british empire before like in yeah. a previous episode right and you know so many black and brown people who are the descendants of colonized people that were owned by the British Empire came to the British Isles, were invited to the British Isles to help rebuild the nation after the Queen's German cousins bombed it into oblivion, right? Mm. And people, and the response that they got was one of, was torrid. They got abused, like, what the hell are you doing here? Why are you in our country? Go back. Yeah. Well, actually, we're British citizens because we were invited here. We're part yeah. of the Commonwealth, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's an, an ignorance of Britain's role in the world. And then we, we, we people want to sit here and be like, what's going on? And a lot of this isn't taught in school, first yeah. and foremost. And also, I blame the media in a sense that yeah. it should there should be a front cover headline, Britain at war for the 15th year in a row. Yeah. But we, we don't, the war's so far away and so removed from us. We don't, we, we want to act, hold our hands up and be like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, but they Just need us. I mean, that's like, because the people that own the newspapers need us to be in a good enough state to keep buying whatever they're selling us. Not necessarily, because they want to talk about Madeleine McCann for 20 years. And uh, Madeleine McCann was a, a famous uh, girl who was, who went missing. Um, while her parents were on holiday. While her parents were on holiday, right? And that's constantly regurgitated in, in, in the news. Um, primarily because, in my opinion, it's because it's a young little blonde girl and she makes a good cover. Keeping yeah, it 100 of Because so many people go missing every year, of right? Course. And she fits the, story, the narrative Yeah, of Grenfell like, people still waiting to get housed. Oh, yeah, there we go, right? So, yeah, it's 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 difficult. And that what you mean, when you mentioned the British guy, I'm like, I'm not surprised. But the thing is, what you're talking about there is, you know, an education system that maybe isn't equipping people with the facts that they need to understand their history and, you know... And the how it affects their, their present. Yes, okay, fine. This man in the video, I mean, I couldn't see him, but he was like a freaking old ass dude. Like this guy was old enough to read newspapers, read books. He was t- he was saying in the video, you know, you're scaring children, you're scaring children. He's probably a father himself. If you're old enough to bring people into this world through your private parts, you're mm-hmm. old enough to be accountable. Of course, I'm not saying he's not without blame. You have. I'm not saying that he's without blame. I'm saying that. We have to also. Where does it stem from? The fact that and also we're that in that society, by the way, of that with the media. How come we're not brainwashed? But how that, come we're not brainwashed? Because I think we don't have the luxury to be. We have an understanding of how we got here and why we're here, right? Yeah, that's how. That's my perception. I've had to go out and research, like, okay, what what was Britain's role in Eritrea, yeah. for example, like, and why is it, why are things like this, like, and, and I've gone out of my way to learn these things, yeah, just because I just because of my existence as a ethnic minority in this country, yeah, has prompted me to. Whereas if you're part of the, the mainstream status quo, yeah. You are allowed to be ignorant. You don't need to know anything. But do you don't you feel that there something's gone fundamentally wrong with like humanity? If that's the 100%, case, hundred percent, yeah. I'm because not, yeah. we should all be curious about not only ourselves but the people around us, the world that we live in. We should all be trying to find out more. We should never take anything at face value. You know, if if we've learned anything from doing this podcast, is that you never take anything at face value. <laughs> you always question. discovered one of my favorite social media feeds um 
Olympia Ohanian, <laughs> aka the daughter of Serena Williams. Woo, woo. And champ. Yeah. Even if she didn't win Wimbledon, she's sort of champ. Tennis in my eyes. champion of the world. Greatest player of all time. <laughs> uh, greatest player of all time, Gio Ekti. Uh, and also daughter of Alexis Ohanian, founder of Reddit and yeah. prolific VC investor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I was on Instagram or Twitter, one of the two, maybe both. And I discovered her account. There was a super cute photo of her with like a mini like tennis bag Aww. and like tennis balls on because they're like, oh, getting ready to like support mom at Wimbledon. Um, but yeah, so she's got a probably a combined following of like hundreds of thousands of followers across Instagram wow. and Twitter. It looks like it's all set up via Buffer. Oh, so they've got like, yeah, queued up photos of her doing stuff, little videos and all this kind of stuff. And it's adorable. Like if you're not on it, please check it out. It's great. But Aww. it did get me thinking around this idea of, you know, who owns the photos once you put them on instagram in instagram case it's facebook on Mm -hmm. twitter's case it's twitter what are your thoughts michael about parents publishing photos of their children who are too young to give consent because let's remember you're not allowed to have a social media account until you're 13 years old yeah and yet you have a baby that's not even 13 months old (laughs) uh with hundreds of thousands of followers posting every day my thoughts are that somebody who isn't a parent it's very hard for me to understand the, but let's admit you have a little niece or little nephew or whatever. Right. So I have put pictures of them several times, like on my social media, because at the end of the day, when you've got that little bundle of joy, like you want to show it to the world. Right. Yeah. But I also understand the contradiction in that, in a sense that, you, you know, there has been no consent from this child, like to have their face all over, all up in the, all up in the, you know, exactly. All up in everyone's grill. So, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like it's up to the parent. That's it. That's it's their, it's their choice. Where, the, where, this story is particularly interesting is obviously the high profile nature of the family. Yes. And it's not just me putting up my little niece or nephew and, you know, it might get a couple hundred likes. This is literally putting them out to the world. Yeah. For all to see. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, do you, I remember Michael Jackson, actually, like he used to cover his kids' faces, like for the longest time, like even when they were walking out, cause he was like, I want them to have some privacy. I want them to be able to walk down the street and not anybody yeah. know who they are. Now, as crazy as Mike was in certain aspects, I love you, Mike, but there might have been something to that, you know, because maybe I what maybe that that child wants privacy when they grow older, well, and, that's the and, thing. and they haven't had a choice. So, and you might say, well, they're little now, but if they keep this account going up until the age of like ten, for example, yeah, it's like they're going to be famous before the world even before they even had a choice to even know what fame is. Like, it's there is something to it where I'm like, mm, not sure. I think one of the one of the things that could be beneficial in doing it is the fact that as you said high profile celebrity parents this is a kid that the paparazzi would probably love to stalk but if you own that you preempt it essentially you know what i mean like if you own those photos you own that content and you basically give the people what they want through your own means Mm. you might mitigate the risk of you know being as harassed as you might otherwise be but yeah i mean it's very difficult to say like you said i don't know maybe if i had a mini me i'd be like oh mini me on instagram mini me on twitter but yeah as as a as someone who is always very cautious when it comes to giving tech companies my data and my photos and everything like that. But you still use those I'm platforms. I'm quite hesitant. And you still show your picture and you still show your face on there, yeah, right? Yeah, but I'm very much in control of that process and I delete it all the time. Like, I, I delete stuff. I go back over things, mm. delete them. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, I'm in my 30s now, man. Like, it's all right. I got a choice in that. Right. 
it's, it's difficult. I mean, if you did have a child, it's funny actually because there's a podcast that I listen to that's a UK boss, UK based one, and there was one dude on there that was like, all these people showing their kids on on their social media, like it's an idiot thing. What are you doing? And then that person had a child, and like for a little while, he, they held it down and they didn't show their <laughs> kid, and then eventually they just caved. <laughs> and it was like, well, once you had the kid, that's why. Like, I think in my younger years, I would have echoed similar sentiments, but now I'm realizing that until I'm in that position, I don't know. And I have the humility now to be like, if I've never been in that position, yeah. how can I speak on it? And like, for the record, Olympia Ohanian is so cute. Like, I'm happy <laughs> yeah, the photos are there. Yeah, that's a cute baby. I'm happy the photos are there. That's I'm enjoying them. I'm just asking the necessary ethical question because yeah, I think this it's is techish it's after an, all. It's an important question to ask. Boy. I'll leave it to you, audience members, to decide. So, this isn't a hustle tip. This is something more of a hustle question. So, it's a question regarding... Um, something I've always pondered now I know a lot of people that have like side hustles they start their business whatever and you know whether it's not even a tech business it could be like doing an events company or whatever right and people always get their backs up about whether their friends are adequately supporting their venture so that could be in the form of like retweets in the form of you know um, sharing it or whatever whatever and people are like yo my friends ain't supporting me like what's going on like F this kind of thing now let's say for example you're a friend and you're like you know, someone like you, Abba, who's got like a decent sized audience oh, thanks, that follows bro. them, right? And let's say you thought your friend's business wasn't necessarily up to scratch. Yeah. And was kind of be embarrassing to have to share, right? I'm just putting two frank about situations, right? <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, basically, right? So who is right in that situation? Should you always share your friend's work? And also, should you always expect that your friend should support you in that sense? Ooh, oof, that's a good question. Put you on the spot. <laughs> no, because like, also like within our community, like I've, I've heard lots of like stories, like black people don't support black people enough, blah, 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 right, this yeah. kind of stuff. Um, so great question. When I first launched Hustle Crew, being focused on women in tech, underrepresented in tech, yeah. I hit up like so many women I knew. Yeah. Um, and got very mixed reviews and very mixed responses. Like some people were like super supportive, like, oh, let me try and sell you into my company. Let me like come along to your workshops. Other people never responded at all. Airtime. And so <laughs> other people were just like, oh, I'm too busy. I'm not interested. So that's really interesting. And I think my views on it are this. As I get older um, and my disposable income increases Balling. as well as, <laughs> no, but as well as like my understanding of like my values and what matters to me, Yeah, I increasingly become focused on supporting people that I know yeah. and people that I care about, um, within the context that I can support them. So sure. for example, you know what I mean? Like I'll buy a issue of yellow zine, which is an art, a magazine for, um, celebrating, people of color artists or Dope. you know this guy Rehat that I follow on Twitter published a photography book and I was like oh that's cool I'll Man, get that, that. um but there's definitely still a lot of asks that I get like oh look I've written you know I've created this enterprise cloud management tool I'd love for you to spend 20 minutes doing the demo and then like mm. writing a review for me and I was like to be honest it's too much work I'm not going to use that am I okay so I think for me it's like I, I think that basically you should you should really think of your ask before before you say it. Yeah. And think about look, not all of us are gonna be building products that are relevant for our friends. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So if your friends are not your target audience, 
then why are you wasting their time? Go speak right. to the people you're building the product for. And your right. friends are probably a diverse group of people mm-hmm. that want, you know, that want different things. So that's my two cents on it. Like be realistic in your expectations. And also like don't build a business for your friends. Build a business for the customers you're solving a problem for or mm. delivering a service for and optimize for them. Like get out of your comfort zone. In fact, if you're expecting your friends to invest in you and rely on you and stuff like that, then you're probably like already on the wrong track. Yeah. Because you need to have more courage. you got to have more courage. So the fault lies with the person probably giving the ask and expecting that their friends have to provide the support, right? I mean, not necessarily. Like, if you have built something that's relevant to one of your friends and your friend ignores you, then the friend takes some blame there as well. Mm. I think it's really important that we support each other, but we have to be realistic in, like, what capacity we have to support. Because let's, let's face it, let's say, going back to my example with women, you know, in the corporate, in the corporate world, in the working place, thanks to patriarchy, women are already dealing with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So when I now come into the game and say, hey, women, like, can you do this for me? It's like, oh my God, I'm already doing so much Mm. for myself, Mm -hmm. for my job. Now you want me to do something for you. Mm. And there is often this expectation that people that are already sharing disproportionately more of some kind of burden will then be expected to do more. Yeah. And asked to do more. Right. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are similar to what you said, really. I think when I was younger, I was more aligned with the idea of like, oh, your friends like have to support um, and that support comes in the form of whatever you need, essentially, whether that's a retweet or whether that's a share. But as I've got older and probably a bit more savvier, I would say that, yeah, you're right. If you're building a business, you need to know who your target customers are. You need to find a way to find them. And you basically require relying on your friends clearly means that you probably haven't figured that out and figured out where your customers are and where you're going to find them. Yeah. Now, I understand, okay, asking a friend to retweet, that's cool. And some people are hella stingy. I'm not going to lie, like, they don't necessarily share. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, Respect to those people. Right. And I think, to be honest, <laughs> so, I mean, I have had people approach me and stuff that, and I felt like this is quite subpar. subpar. And sometimes the, the support is actually sitting down with them and being like, I think you need to improve this. I nice. think you need to improve that. Like, instead of just being like, um yeah you know um, i'm a bit busy you can't do that like i think we're so afraid of being honest sometimes and it comes to the detriment of friendship and to the detriment of actually helping that person yeah right um it's a difficult one to be honest it's so hard because i'm one of those people that says yes to everything and i probably should stop because it means that i end up disappointing people because yeah. just be frank frank and honest from the get go i know, can't do this or i don't want to do this sometimes you like, think you can do something right and then and because someone's not moment. giving you enough information yeah. about what what's involved yeah. you know like oh hey can you come like speak at my university you know, I'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Like, tell me when and where. And then they tell you, like, three days before, and it's, like, four hours. I'm like, well, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, real talk. You know, so I right. think, um, you know, it's it's difficult to lay that blanket judgment down on it just because the variables are always changing. Yeah. But, yeah, totally And also, I, I also think, actually, the word friend is quite loosely used here. Yeah. Because I think when I give you that, when I ask Facebook you that question. Friend. Right, exactly. You were saying, oh, you know, I asked these people. I asked a whole bunch of people. But really and truly, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've all got maybe five or six, three to five. Got one friend sitting okay. right next to me. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> Don't know. So um, <laughs> we've all got three to five actual real friends. And we've got a whole bunch of people in our extended circles that we might use the word friend for, but it's not the same, the same relationship. Now, of the people that are within my immediate circle, would I expect them to be able to like um, help me out a little bit if I said support this, come to this event, you know, or buy this ticket yeah. or whatever? Like, um, yeah, I would. Right now, going beyond that, that's the tough one. Where I don't expect shit. Acquaintances, and, uh, acquaintances, connections. right? Yes, yeah. which we will loosely use the word friend for. 
And um, let's face it, a lot of people are overstepping that boundary. People you never even met in real life or done anything for, you're suddenly like, yo, do this for me. And it's like... I mean, I've had people that have actually actively betrayed me in, in certain ways and then come back years later asking <laughs> oh my me, God. can you speak to me, speak at this event and stuff like that on the house? And like, I'm like, bro, like, we spoke in five nah. years. Just because you've got my Facebook and you've liked a few of my pictures doesn't mean that we have a relationship that warrants that kind of thing, right? That's such a good point. We've totally got confused about definition of friend thanks to social media. Um, Thanks, Mark Zuckerberg. Right? First, you destroyed democracy. Now you just. I know, but keeping it real, though, he has destroyed the word friend. Yeah, of course. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. As in, like, he's. Yeah, he proper destroyed the word. Like, what does that mean anymore? Give it back, Mark. Give One thing back. I appreciate, actually, I, I enjoy more about Instagram and Twitter is the fact that we have used the word follow because mm. it's not a friendship. It's just like you follow my what I'm tweeting yeah. and what I'm posting and I follow what. Although you know, follower now has. Because followers, if you're, you're like a follower of Christ or something, yeah, you know, true. that was yeah. like religious it does get connotation. Kind of and now yeah, it does get kind of cultish. We need new vocabulary, basically. But yeah, like if, if you are a founder out there and you're thinking, oh, you know, I asked my friends to do this, they didn't support me, maybe you need to like rethink your ask and and be a bit more strategic i also like one of the things i've learned from ryan who i work with because he's got like a crazy contacts list like that guy knows everyone he's like you you gotta you gotta know when when the time is right to pull in that favor because there are certain people you could only ask them for something once Mm. you know what i mean like they're busy they're important you don't want to go in with small fish you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. You want to bring them in when you're like hauling in the freaking jaws, the shark, you know? So, yeah. so I think that's another thing that like sometimes tactically, strategically, we overlook as entrepreneurs, we overlook as individuals. We're like, oh, let's just go for volume. Let's just spam everyone we know. Let's just ask everyone. And what you might be missing, missing an opportunity there. You might be pulling the ask bullet too soon. Yeah, that's a difficult pulling one. Pulling the trigger too soon. That's, on that. yeah, it's, that's an interesting one. Um, Anything else you want to add on that on that question? Well, how, how, how do we summarize that then? So what did we say? We said basically that you shouldn't necessarily rely on your friends, and you should have an actual business model that works that wouldn't require your friends to be. You there should in ask, the beginning, yeah. Right? Basically, ask relevant. You know, speak to the relevant audience for what you're building. Or find and, them exactly, and also when it comes to like retweeting stuff, like you know, if uh, everyone that I follow is related to entrepreneurship, tech, startups, um, social justice, inclusion. As I said, if you're building, I don't know, some like agricultural solution for the Middle East and you ask me to retweet it, it's not going to have any relevance. Yes, yeah, true. To my audience. Like I had a homie of mine, like he started a podcast and it was some really random podcast. And he was like, can you retweet it from the pocket account? I was like, bro, I don't think it's, it's even lining up here, man. Like, <laughs> I, I, but I told him that. I was like, this doesn't, doesn't even make any sense. Like, you're just going to confuse my audience and probably they're going to get a whole bunch of unfollows and it's not going to get you any listeners. Yeah. So what's the bloody point? And he was like, yeah, fair enough. And he understood it because once I broke it down to him, but if I had like just fobbed him off and, and what we, we are all guilty of doing, which is like, replying to the text a bit slower, hoping that they just forget yes, exactly. and just like ghosting. Like, I think that's the one, like, ghosting has now become something where it's gone out of even just like the early dating stage it's kind of become even in a professional world like people just ghosting you like it's because we have too much content coming in man it's you, not you our think... fault no yo it's not oh, our fault man anyways it's they're like there's too many unread messages out there yeah. don't hate on me <laughs> tune in next week and use the hashtag techish and share review um, on any of the podcast apps that you use if you're on iTunes please do that it helps out a lot and stay tuned 
and yeah. we always love to hear from you on Twitter and everywhere thanks for listening share this with a friend yeah so use the email techishpod.gmail if you want to if you've got any questions that you want us to answer and whatnot yeah guys see you next week until next time ciao